Kia ora, welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Alan McElroy and Linda Hallinan joining me uh, this afternoon. Just uh, do take care of the weather in Wellington State Highway 2, Kelson southbound. There's been a crash. The right lane is blocked due to a crash near Hebden Crescent. So please pass with care and keep to the left. Also, Canterbury, the left westbound lane remains blocked at the Insles Road intersection on State Highway 76 or power due to a truck roll. And do take care there. We'll keep you up to date with the traffic across uh, the country here on the panel and uh, beyond. A lot of response regarding live exports. Let's go to that first. Party leader Christopher Luxon has unveiled the party's Getting Back to Farming package, which includes 19 proposals. And one proposal amongst the 19 is to restart live exports of cattle with gold standard quote-unquote animal welfare rules and a requirement for purpose-built ships. A ban on the practice has come into force this week. The last shipment is set to leave Napier this week with approval to take 5,600 cattle to China. The issue is controversial, galvanised last year when 15,000 sheep drowned after a live export ship sank, also in 2020 when Gulf Livestock won. Uh, uh, sank, killing 41 crew members and 6,000 cattle, so two of several incidents recently. New Zealand only exports animals for breeding, not slaughter. Now with us is Deborah Ashton, the CEO of Safe for Animals. Uh, They've campaigned on this. Deborah, kia ora. Hi, Wallace. Thank you for having me on. I guess you'd be disappointed by this. Oh, incredibly. I I think this announcement um, from National today uh, would be a real step backwards uh, for a number of reasons and would actually be impossible to achieve. Um, It's also incredibly disappointing from an animal welfare perspective. Uh, But firstly, even if animals were being sent on purpose-built ships, there are still numerous risks associated with transport by sea. Um, That includes adverse weather conditions, accidents, breakdowns and delays, which we see year after year. Um, Conditions are not great at the best of times with stocking densities, the risk of heat stress and an unnatural diet for the animals while they're on board those ships. So all of these things can have a negative impact on the animals. We've even heard of cows aborting their calves while they've been on board those ships due to the stress of travelling on a ship. Um, And we have to remember that just because an animal arrives at the destination alive, it doesn't mean that it hasn't suffered along the way. Um, But the the second reason why, why we really oppose this is that while we have strong animal welfare standards here in New Zealand, it's unrealistic to think that we can control what happens in other countries. And if we use the kiwi fruit industry as an example, um, it has been powerless in getting uh, China to stop the appropriation of their technology. So we don't think that New Zealand would have much chance of adopting animal welfare standards there. Deborah, um, I want to talk about the costs, uh, the economics in a minute, but, uh, you know, if you if you look at someone like Chairperson Mark Willis, he's from Livestock Export NZ, he said, look, national decision, because we uh, talked to him this afternoon, he said national decision 
is in line with the review that MPI did and concluded that the livestock export industry could continue under better regulation. The government, the current government was offered this option and chose to ignore and ban it. And they believe that the best practice gold standard live export would be beneficial for animals, food security and trading partners. And they are up for improvement. I'm just wondering, is there a balance not to be struck here? I think the arrangement um, that National is proposing is completely meaningless. Um, these animals could be raised and slaughtered in ways that would be seen illegal in this country. And I go back uh, to my point that, um, you know, uh, New Zealand trying to control what is happening um, from an animal welfare perspective or even, in fact, policing any types of standards that we might want to impose would be near impossible. So I, I, I wouldn't even imagine that they would be able to uh, reintroduce live export um, as a gold standard anytime soon. Okay, let's go around the panel on this one. Uh, Linda, you first. Well, I mean, I grew up on a farm and I have a lot of sympathy for farmers, but equally, I mean, from an animal welfare point of view, it just it's impossible to see how anyone could think that it's a good idea to put live animals on a ship and ship them halfway around the world, knowing what happens to them and knowing what happens to the crew when these ships crash as well. But more, more importantly, I think the bigger issue in that farming announcement is the fact that we're shipping live animals out and we're shipping in lowly paid migrants to do the work on farms for less than the median wage. And we're okay with that. I mean, that's worse, surely. Deborah? Oh, um, yeah, look, Linda, I agree. Um, you know, and it's good to hear that, um, you know, you, you've worked with animals or been raised with animals and, um, you know, agree that um, it's not the thing that we should be doing. Well, we've had a huge response to this. Can I just say that um, you're pretty much overwhelmingly uh, against live animal exports uh, on this. Uh, If you support it, let me know also why. 2101 before uh, Alan jumps in. Uh, Let's talk about the cost, Deborah. I mean, this is a huge issue. If you're for the farmers, it's a huge issue for farmers when you have an export cow worth twice as much as a cow sold on the domestic market. Who's going to take a hit? The farmers. And it's going to be very costly, Deborah. Well, and, and, and it could work in the opposite direction as well. We've heard farmers, um, heard about the farmers that don't like the idea of live export because they think that it's damaging our industry here. So, um, when, when, we're not even just talking about farmers in this instance though, because with a live export representing around 0.6% of our overall export market, um, you know, our reputation for animal welfare is really, really important. And if well, we don't uphold those standards, this could have a damaging well, see, impact here's on a, all exports. Okay, yep, here's Regan Wallace. I'm a dairy farmer and not a great fan of live exports, but our current account deficit is beginning to blow out. When we decide to ban exports like these, we should be in a position first to replace them with an equivalent export product. Yeah, and uh, and I think we've probably got a lot of um, potential out there, and that's probably something you'd have to uh, talk to Damien O'Connor about. But, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, whatever we do, we can't be sending animals away from this country, proudly saying that we have a wonderful Animal Welfare Act and, and, and that we have world-leading standards. 
and then allowing our animals to go off to another country without, um, you know, without a blink of an eye and, and saying that's okay. So I think that's really the argument here is, um, you know, that the economy and, and the economics of this whole thing um, obviously needs to be considered, but certainly animal look, welfare, um, you know, that, that's an absolute priority. So Alan, well. Linda uh, said, look, she's not particularly for it, uh, the live exports. Does this mean anything to you? How do you feel about it? <laughs> It doesn't really affect me. Uh, I'm just trying to understand one thing, though. Did you say it was only they were only being exported for breeding, not for slaughter? Yes. So yes. why would they keep needing to export when surely at least two is enough to make more? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't have to send it ship after ship after ship. Yeah, and they've got to get over their seasickness, Alan. Oh yeah, that's that's a nightmare. I get that as well. I understand. Well, we used to send animals for slaughter, and and that was banned a number of years ago um, because of animal welfare reasons. Um, but at the end of the day, even these animals going there for breeding purposes will be slaughtered in the end, and um, and and they're not going to be slaughtered um, with being pre-stunned in the first place. Um, you know, it's going to be a pretty cruel way for those animals to die. So that this is the issue: is that the standards in that country. Uh, nowhere near as yeah. good as ours, um, and we've got enforcement issues. You know, how do you enforce any or, or police? On a final note, Deborah, though, on a final note, though, the thing is, this is a worldwide issue. Um, loss of market here will see New Zealand surely replaced by cattle from, you know, Australia, Chile, Uruguay, some European countries, and. Whilst the welfare um, uh, of cattle on ships is going to be um, tightened up here, uh, those other countries, they surely may not be as good as that required from New Zealand. So you're not going to stop the issue. You're going to export this problem to other countries. Oh, look, I, I think there will be some countries that will um, jump in and fill the gap for sure for a period of time. Um, but one of the really promising things that we're seeing now is that Australia are, are moving to phase out live sheep exports. So um, we're leading the way on this, and I think we should be pretty proud of it, and we should protect um, the ban and the interests of the animals in this um, in, in this space. Um, you know, Australia has been doing live export for many, many years, and um, seeing them move forward in this step to phase out live sheep exports is, um, you know, really, I think, recognition of what's happening in this country. So I think that's a good thing, and we shouldn't be afraid of taking the stand and leading the way and showing that we really do care about animal welfare. Deborah Ashton there, the CEO of SAFE, uh, they've campaigned on this. The uh, big news today, uh, one of the 19 proposals is to uh, reintroduce uh, live animal S-box. That's what the National Party would like to do. Um, a ban on the practice has come into force this week and, gosh, yeah, a really big response to this. And uh, what, what, what would it be, Ayana? Probably 95% are not in favour of reintroducing it, including some national supporters here, actually. Um, uh, so, look, if you do support it, I'd like to know why. Uh, to one zero one of the panel. It's 19 past four. Wonderful to have your company and indeed your feedback. Now the government has announced major changes to the cost of getting a driver's license and that will mean some vehicle fees are getting hiked from this October the 1st. That includes the administration cost of renewing a car's 
Rego. And if you are trying to get a driver's license, Minister Michael Woods says that the average cost of a learner's license will go down by $20, a restricted by $35, and a full license by 31 bucks. But Wood also announced the government is removing reset fees for practical driver license tests, and that can be up to $87 per attempt. He said around half of Kiwis are having to pay these when trying for their license. So how long have you been on your restricted there's quite a few numbers in that, isn't there? So let's try and make sense of them. Wendy Robertson is the National Coordinator of Driving Change Network. Kia ora, Wendy. Kia ora. Yeah, as I said, quite a few numbers there. Explain in layman's terms what's happening here. How do you read these figures? Um, they're very hard to read. Yeah. Um, I, I find the announcement um, quite deceiving, really, um, for them to say that prices are going down is not entirely correct, um, particularly looking at the prices that they were um, quoting as being current prices. So um, I think they were saying that currently it costs $117.36 to get your learner's licence, when in actual fact when you walk into the AA to sit your learner's licence, it will only cost you ninety three ninety. Um, so in reality, the new, new fee on 1st of October is a price increase. Um, what is actually happening is that uh, half of our population is subsidising those people who aren't putting in the um, the work and the preparation for their tests and are failing and having to pay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Uh, sometimes people just find it hard. You know, to, to don't don't sort of try and attack people who have to reset their license because they try and find it extremely difficult. That's uh, a large proportion of our population. Um, absolutely, people do find it difficult. But but we would say, why isn't the government saying why are these people failing and why don't they put the support in there to prevent them failing in the first place? We think that they should be making. Um, driver education and training accessible to everyone. Not everybody can afford a driving instructor, and that's not fair. But, um, you know, if we want safe drivers on our road, we need to make sure that everybody is having the proper education. Okay, okay, so that's where you see the issue lie. Linda, what what a view on this? Well, this is the master of spin, isn't it, this announcement? Because it's literally like if you if you pass, it's going up. But if you fail, it's going down in price because you can reset for free. But I think everybody with a teenager in their wider family will know of a ridiculous story of someone being failed their license, um, you know, getting their practical because something daft like, you know, the car having one windscreen wiper blade missing or something that had nothing to do with it. And so it did seem like revenue gathering. So in a way, I mean, I'm assuming the government's still going to be funding these resets because no one's going to do them for nicks, are they? So it's kind of jiggery pokery with the numbers. BTNZ certainly won't want to perform that service for free. So for free. someone has to pay. Yeah. Okay, so did you have to, I'd love to hear from you, did you have to reset your test? Why? What were the circumstances? Did you sort of, didn't apply yourself? Did you find the driver training not enough? Or did well, you the just numbers find... show, Wallace, that half of people fail. Half. It's quite so expl- I mean, yeah. it can't just be no. all terrible teenagers behind the wheel, can it? I yeah. failed. 
Because I had a I had an Irish provisional uh, license which you can get for a moped, and I came over here and they said they'll swap it. I can't remember what they swapped it for, but they said you just have to do a test. I've never driven a car before, so I did the lesson, tried to wing it, and I failed because I didn't know how to drive. Uh, so then I reset it, and then I was fine. But yeah, I just so you reset. I reset, yeah. But then I don't even think. No, I'm a great driver now. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, but I didn't do a two-point turn, a three-point turn, or anything. I, t- I just made the instructor laugh, uh, and we told stories, and then all of a sudden I passed. And I went, all right, that didn't seem right. <laughs> but uh, but well, then it was fine. Well, just prove then that the system's a joke? Ha <laughs> ha. Well, this is, yeah, well, 10 years ago okay. or something. But look, yeah, yeah. Look, look at the figures. Before we move on, I want to uh, hear we look, look. Under the new system, Wendy, the cost of taking a restricted test will be $167.57. There will be no additional fees for resets, meaning the average will no longer be $203, but stay at $167. The roughly $35 reduction the minister is speaking of, that's a reduction under the new system. That's only a reduction if you fail. So um, our big concern is it's jumping from 134 to 167.57. Currently, people struggle to find that 134. Now they have to find 167 when, you know, New Zealanders are going through a cost of living crisis. Um, Hopefully, but, you know, we, we worry that that will prevent people from sitting there restricted in the first place. And um, and as we know, the restricted is the really important phase. It actually gets people moving. Um, you know, they can they can drive mm. independently. They can get to school and work. Um, if that that price increase deters them from doing that, we worried that they'll drive unlicensed. So um, right, yeah. Taking away the reset is irrelevant. The price is still going up for that first first step. Well, yeah, that goes back to my like why I didn't get I didn't pay. Uh, for proper lessons the first time because I couldn't afford it. It was too expensive. So, exactly. yeah, and it forces okay. you to do things that you shouldn't do. So you're the example. Like well, I, know, I never drove on license. I never broke we the law. Would, we would like to see proper lessons made more freely yeah. available to everyone because, you know, not everyone can afford the 60 to $100 an hour that it is, and, and that's not fair. Fair enough, Wendy. Nice to have you on the programme. That's Wendy Robertson, National Coordinator of Driving change uh, network. Uh, I'm a veterinarian, uh, very experienced on large animal production, this person says. I would be careful reinstating live export. I have been on a ship. I have been on farms where live exports were destined. I'm sure there must be very good farms at countries of destinations, but the worst of welfare I have seen has been on poorly prepared overseas farms. I firmly believe there is very little that we can do once the animal boards the ship for overseas and lands on the country of destination is Joel's uh, experience and point of view. 26 minutes past four. You are on the panel with Alan McRoy this afternoon and also Linda Hallinan. As always, lovely to have you with us, uh, our wonderful panel family. Now, if you are, we'll get this. You're in a large Zoom meeting with the CEO of the company, and a number of you decide to ask, okay, what about the bonus? What about the bonus structure? And the CEO, who in this case happens to be US furniture giant Millenol Andy Owen, who received a US $1.2 million bonus, she says, look, times are tight. Let's all be kind and just forget about the bonuses. 
this leaked video has gone viral. Questions came through about how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus? What can we do? What can we do? Some of them were nice and some of them were not so nice. So I'm going to address this head on. The most important thing we can do right now is focus on the things that we can control. None of us could have predicted COVID. None of us could have predicted supply chain. None of us could have predicted bank failures. But what we can do is stay in front of our customers, provide the best customer service we can, get our orders out our door, treat each other well, be kind, be responsible respectful, focus on the future because it will be bright. It's not good to be in a situation we're in today, but we're not going to be here forever. It is going to get better. So lead, lead by example, treat people well, talk to them, be kind and get after it. Don't ask about what are we going to do if you don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right, can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people leave Pity City, let's get it done. Thank you, have a great day. That's very motivational, isn't it? I can't wait to start work. <laughs> can't wait to sell furniture. All right, so Alan Mackerel, you first. Leave Pity City. Are you the sort of person who refuses to leave Pity City? No, I'd lose my mind. I'd, I'd go nuts. I said it off air to you. It's very let them eat cake. You know, she's just sitting there in a high horse with all that. Bonus 1.2 million. I just think it's in, in, insane. Like, uh, And then using COVID as the example. Like when we came out of lockdowns, there was a comedy promoter who tried to book me a tour for very little money. And he said, it's the new normal. I goes, nah, nah, you're coming. That's mental. That's not the new normal. So a lot of people are using that as an, as, as an excuse to try and, Where's your respect? Where's your kindness? Exactly. Yeah. No, no, I'm asking just, you. I'm asking you. I have loads. No, it's uh, no because, for, because the, for she, the for the for the millionaire the, for she, the millionaire. No, no, no. no but uh, but uh, the difference between her and you is that she owns the company. Yeah. Now, if I owned the company, I'd share all that money with everybody and give them lollipops and cakes and everything. I'd look after them. I'm a good boss. All right, Linda. But she doesn't own the company, isn't that the whole point? She's oh, the CEO. She right? Well, she's the CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. She's only been there for about, I think, a few, like, over a year. But okay, also, Linda. like, don't you, just, don't you love social media? Don't you love the fact that people like this, these corporate just knobbins, get their comeuppance? Because actually, well, that's shame, a strong, lady, shame. Um, Linda, I don't think so. Linda, I think Linda, Linda, if you're going to take a million dollars a as a knobbin, bonus, you can't a even knobbin berate your staff. A is like a really hard words. word to say at uh, 29 past four on an afternoon. <laughs> I got in trouble for saying oh, Willie last time. That's like worse. That, Willie, wants a boss we, don't like want, we don't want Willie. We don't want knobbins. We just want an explanation of what you would say uh, if you were listening <laughs> to that. If you were part of the Zoom, Linda, what would you say to her? Well, I just think it's brilliant that people had their phones out and they were taping it so Absolutely. that they could shame her on the internet because that's what she deserves. Like, yeah. If you're going to take a million-dollar bonus, you can't then treat your staff like four-year-olds complaining that they're not getting lollies. <laughs> and know? how do you know that? You like, How does she know that people aren't – it's on a computer. It's not like in a private boardroom. Everyone's computer can record <laughs> this. You know, okay. So, um, Linda, Linda, you ref you refuse also to leave Pity City. Oh my goodness, I, I would be camping in Pity City. In fact, you know what I would do? I'd quiet quit for her. I think everybody at um, Herman Miller they should just go to work and just not sell anything and go. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, bring sorry. it down. Sorry, we we were so busy moving out of Pity City, we didn't have time to come to work. You're on the panel on RNZ National.